Ace Podcast. Hey there, welcome to another episode of Two Middle-Aged Dudes in a Microphone. I'm Craig. I'm Aaron. Hey Aaron, did you notice that that's not our normal music? That's not our normal music. No, you know what that is, right? What is it? It's the theme to the gong show. Why? Why are we doing the gong show? Because Chuck Barris, the the king yes. of the gong show, yes. has left us. He's passed, I know. He's passed away. You know, it actually brought tears to my eyes. I, he, was, he, was a, he was a hoot, as they would say. There were two people in my childhood that affected my uh, sense of humor. One was the ice cream man. No, one was not the ice cream man. Oh, sorry. One was Steve Martin. Oh, I just got through watching The Jerk again. That's Love a great movie. movie. But the other one was Chuck Barris. Yeah, Chuck's great. And was, past tense. Anyone that has listened to our show for any amount of time knows that he was the number one interview we were chasing. And it uh, looks like... Well, I'd say we were more like glancing over the fence. I don't think we were really no, chasing No, I tried. Anybody. I tried. Really now? Yes, I did. Anyway, it was a it was a cool show and and uh, just a man, just an interesting guy. Passed away. I think it was last Tuesday, last Thursday. Um, passed away at eighty seven. Yeah, that's age. that's a pretty good run. Yeah, and if you're not familiar with Chuck, I'm going to give you a little sample of uh, of his stuff here. Here's some Gong Show funny from Hollywood, almost live. It's the Gong Show. If I recall, he actually has an actual live band. Yes, in Texas. That was uh, his daughter, Della, and she passed away in the 90s. She had a drug overdose. Oh, that's right. I remember that. Welcome to the old Don Show. It's our 400th show. They said it wouldn't last. (laughs) We food them. All right. And we're still cooking. We're still cooking. I can't believe it. (laughs) You have to see them to really understand it. That wasn't any good. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we have an out. Let me have a B. Let me have another B. Let me have another B. What do we have? Very good. Now that's an audience answer my own. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to say hello to an act that is said. Now everybody say hello to this act when she comes out. Here comes <laughs> the audience here. participation. Hello. Yeah. Let me everybody say hello to Con Swift. And, and Chuck always looked like he was about to fall Ray. over. Yeah. What can you say about our first guest that hasn't already been said about Butch Wax? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> uh, uh, Anson Williams. You say Anson Williams? Yeah. The actual Anson. Potsy. He was on there? Yeah. Was this before or after? It was after She's recorded he, a he was Potsy. Candy Graham to Hunt's no. no, it had to be because. Yeah, yeah, it was. Dion Warwick. Listen, this next one's going to surprise you. The only person I've heard of who caught athletes' nose at a health club. <laughs> Jamie Farr. Jamie Farr? Yeah. From Nash. He was on there all the time. Now let's meet a man who tells us that he was a freelance toilet trainer. <laughs> but who cares? Ladies and gentlemen, I'm not sure if this man's name is Carl Oliver or Oliver Carl. But here he comes anyway. Both of them. Come on out here. Both Ladies and gentlemen, just consider this as you mull over those dirty dishes. If Ella Fitzgerald married Darth Vader, she'd be Ella Vader. <laughs> <laughs> so you can see my sense of humor. See where we went. Yes. Right after this message. 
But on tonight's episode, we're going to be discussing, uh, you know, about his life. Yeah. Because he was a very interesting man and lived a very interesting life. So you want to start us off with a little bit of Chuck Chuck Barris bio? Yeah. Here's the thing. Okay. If you don't know about Chuck, you're about to find out. Good. Chuck Barris is believed to have been born on June 3rd, 1929. I don't know if, why they have to believe that. I would think well, they would have seen him. I think it goes back to his CIA Oh, that's true. That's another story. Yeah. Uh, he was born in uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Uh, Barris often provided conflicting details about his family life, uh, and his early years are somewhat shrouded by mystery. His father, who died of a stroke, was reportedly a dentist and or worked in textiles, and Barris yearned to take a different career path. He eventually graduated from Drexel Institute of Technology in 1953 and held several jobs uh, before moving to New York. In 1962, Barris wrote Palisades Park. Great song. Which was a a popular, yeah, very popular song, inspired by the New Jersey Amusement Park, which was performed by Freddie Cannon. Oh, Freddie Cannon. Barris started his television career in a low-level position at NBC and worked his way onto the sales staff only to get uh, laid off during uh, cutbacks. Isn't that terrible? After he was unemployed for a year, ABC offered Barris the post of looking after Dick Clark, who was, of course, the host of American Bandstand, um, who at the time was caught up in a, I don't know what this is, he was in a payola scandal. Yeah, that was the, I do remember the scandal because my parents were in radio from the time I was a little bitty boy. Right. He was accepting money to play records. Oh, okay. From from the record companies. Okay, he was kind of cooking the books. Yeah. And he was in, uh, Dick Clark was in Washington, D.C. to give testimony. Clark was the host of American Bandstand, as I mentioned. And the time Barris spent on the set led to a friendship between the two of them. Barris eventually got a full-time job in daytime television at ABC. And this is where his his shows, you know, he was very creative, always came up with a bunch of interesting ideas. And always looked like he was high. He did. And and we've got a clip where he talks about that. It's coming up, so now, hey, you, you now, got something to look forward to. Now I'm looking forward to something. <laughs> but he had, I think, a list of 20 shows, 20 or 30 game shows he invented. Most of them actually did make it to air. Well, a lot but, of them are famous, yeah. Yeah, but we're only going to focus on the three big ones tonight because we've only got half an hour or so. Right. The first one was The Dating Game. Barris's first game show attempt was called People Poker. Okay. <laughs> I don't, I'd love to see some of that, though it never sold. Fed up with the red tape of the network, he decided to go out on his own. So he borrowed twenty grand from his stepfather, and that's how he developed the uh, the dating game. And he sold that pilot to ABC. Uh, the network initially opted not to put it on the schedule, but after other programs in its lineup failed, the dating game debuted and became an instant hit. Yeah, it did. The show involved a bachelorette or a bachelor asking questions of three singles behind a partition, ultimately choosing who to go out with on a date. And some of the most uh, famous contestants ever there was Andy Kaufman, uh, Suzanne Summers, and John Ritter, both from Three's Company, Company. Yeah. Tom Selleck, and Lindsey Wagner. And I, did, and I believe Michael Jackson. Yeah, Michael Jackson mm-hmm. was on there, but I don't remember Tom Selleck being on there. Did you watch The Dating yeah. Game? I, you know, as a kid, we only had, like, what, four channels? So yeah. I would yeah. catch it on um, one of the UHF channels. Being middle-aged dudes, I expect that if I'm telling you this, you know what I'm talking about when I say UHF, right? Yes, UHF. <laughs> so, dear listener. Anyway, so, yeah, I would catch some of the shows there. But, you know, I mean, I, w- it wasn't really, I wasn't that age to really enjoy the show. Well, see, my brother was six years older than me, so he was all into it. So he's and not six years older than you anymore? He still is. Oh, right. The fact is, though, we only have one TV in the house, and I watched pretty much what he watched. But I did enjoy it, although looking back now, when you see clips it's, and reruns, yeah. it's really racy. It's racy. But here's a clip we've got of the time Andy Kaufman made a visit. Holiday season, and I'm Santa. 
You're on my lap. Little boy, take it away. What? <laughs> wait a minute. Wait. I don't know what, what she looked like. Could I see what she looked no, like? No, you can't. You can't, number three. No. It's, oh, all right. That's part of the game. You oh, all right. But I don't know who she is. No, I know. Andy Kaufman is Watka. Yes. Beautiful. <laughs> From Taxi. Yes. I'm Santa. And Santa you're Claus? Little, right. <laughs> but you don't uh, sound like Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, pretend. Pretend. Right. Pretend. Yes. You're on her lap. Take it from there. And what do I do? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I want you to tell me. I'm going to tell you what I want for Christmas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, I want uh, for Christmas uh, uh, television and uh, uh, record player and record uh, food. <laughs> we need to be doing an Andy Kaufman show. Yes, we should. <laughs> so that that show, you know, it was like they said in the in the article it was an instant hit, right? And it lasted I don't know how many seasons, but you can still catch it today sometimes. Well, then he followed up with one that's probably even a little more popular. Might have been the Newlywed Game, which yeah. was the next one in 1966. Barris followed up his success with the Newlywed Game, an endearing show, with, not endearing, an enduring, enduring, show. yes. But it was endearing. It too. was. It was quite yeah. with uh, many iterations over time, featuring wives and husbands answering questions about each other. That same year, the Dating Game was bumped up to prime time the prizes for both were spare though the dating game increased its budget to send contestants on trips barris knew that the opportunity for contestants to appear on television was generally prize enough um, it was a formula he exploited for years and in game shows to come and although they were critically panned barris's shows were undeniably popular with audiences yeah he had that thing where you know like when the dating game started, they didn't even give away trips. It was like, well, a gift card to a restaurant. That's what he's saying. It was just like, <laughs> yeah. it was just, the, it was, well, and then, and Newlywed Game um, was great because you had, obviously had Newlywed couples. Yep. Who you would think knew each other better than they did. Yes. Because when I say that, I don't mean within reason. I mean, these people acted like they didn't know each other. A lot of times it, they did. It was I mean, weird. I've got a clip. Okay. Have a, throw down some, uh, some Newlywed Game. This is us. from, uh, this is labeled just as blonde. Okay. So I'll let you listen. Right now. Husbands say he is uh, basically more urban or rural. Kathy? I don't know what they mean. <laughs> <laughs> I know this clip. Isn't it great? Yeah, it's great. She's got a blank stare. Yeah. You know it. Um, now you married him. What do you think? Uh, uh, heck, he's urban. He's urban. <laughs> yeah. How long has he been that way? About two months. Two months he's been there. Do you, you think there's anything he can do about it? He went to a doctor. Oh, he did? <laughs> you really need to see this to sell it. You need it's to see her face. face. Did, did uh, the doctor give him anything for his urban? He gave me some. No. <laughs> she's, she can't even figure out she's just going down this dirt road she can't get back she from. get it. So uh, after the success of the Newlywed Game is when my favorite, probably my all-time favorite game show, uh, 
was produced, and it was the Gong Show, and, and it, it was really not even a game show; it was more no. like a variety show. And if you think about it, it was a precursor to like uh, American Idol. Exactly. Yeah, it was the the first talent show on TV. It wasn't. Uh, it, it, no, it, it was more like if the people that get kicked off of American yeah. Idol did a whole sh- did a got, whole got, season got to sit, got sent over to Gong Show <laughs> yes. because none of the people that were on there uh, were really okay except the unknown comic. I like him. Yeah, he's good. And in 1976, that's when the Gong Show. Uh, was was his next big hit and at nbc's ins- insistence uh he hosted it himself he didn't want the job as host and they made him wear a tuxedo he didn't like that if you notice even in the early episodes when he was playing by the rules yeah. by the end of the show his bow tie was, yeah, was undone, untied, hanging yeah. around his neck and, but in theory the gong show was a talent show with the judges panel of b-list celebrities who clang a gong when they'd seen enough. Right. And if you didn't get gonged, you know, you got rated, and the highest rated won money, which was also very funny because most were extremely amateur acts, and the prizes, the prize, there was only one, was it was typically a check for an offbeat sum like five hundred sixteen dollars and thirty two cents. And I remember, I remember him saying five hundred sixteen big ones and thirty two little ones. It's almost like whatever he had in his pocket that day. Yeah, I've got I got a few more clips from the Gong Show. Let's listen. To this. this first man perform at auditions brought to mind something my grandmother once told me. She said, absence makes the heart grow fonder and may even cause a slight case of warts. In any case, <laughs> what? here is... Warts. I know, but what? ...starting with that already, right? All right, folks, here is, ladies and gentlemen, we cannot stretch any longer because I do not know what to say. Ladies and gentlemen, here is Ray... You're in for a treat. I mean, you're in for a treat. Because right now we have a 69-year-old Hawaiian hula dancer. You don't find them. You don't find them these days. Her interest came by sheer luck. The day she was running for a bus and her pantyhose snapped up around her neck. (laughs) Sure was. This is, this is yummy. Ladies and gentlemen, here is Sarah Babbitt. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> he, he was so funny at the one-liners, and it was an unscripted show. Well, given everything, the, the gong show still found its audience, and it turned Barris, whose antics got crazier as the years wore on, yes. into a bona fide star. Yeah. Uh, he began wearing a variety of silly-looking hats on stage, which were eventually seen on a rack at stage right. Yeah. Um, he and would frequently change hats during a show. You know, the funny thing, I remember the hat rack, and, and when the— when, when I was old enough, I was 10 years old when it started, and I think I started watching it at maybe 12 or 13. But he he would pull the hats down over his yeah, eyes. Yeah, over his eyes. And he also would have props. Every once in a while, he would walk out with like a hockey stick. I think that was his favorite prop. And you would see somebody, you'd see people, you'd see arms throwing yes, stuff from the side of the stage. Right. Or he'd have a tennis racket or a guitar he wouldn't play. Well, Barris was ill at ease in front of the camera. He had a nervous habit of clapping his hands together and pointing at the camera while talking, which was his thing. That was one of my favorite parts of it. He did this so often that by the show's second year, it had become a running gag. Audience members began clapping their hands in unison with uh, Barris whenever they saw him doing it. Barris caught on and would sometimes pretend to clap (laughs) deliberately, stopping short to fool the audience. He would fake them out, and I I love that. (laughs) Before long, Barris was working so loosely that some viewers assumed he was drunk or worse. He would pull his hat down over his eyes, totally obscuring them. His monologues never exactly crisp or slick, but always occasionally rambled. Yeah. 
Barris later recounted in an interview that he was never drunk and that he would not allow drugs in his production company. We have a clip of that coming up a little later. Okay. If Barris enjoyed an act, it was obvious. He would stand there uh, He would stand there beaming, clapping his hands, or even dancing. For the losers, no matter how bad, Barris was unfailingly positive about their performances, often consoling them afterwards with allegedly comforting words of encouragement like, I don't know why they did that. I loved your act. But then again, I love Rancid Milk. <laughs> now, see, that's another thing I do remember about him. Even as an 11 or 12-year-old, he was so kind to the, yeah. even the, the funny acts, even the ones they hired. He was a likable guy. Like, yeah. he could hang with the guy, it seemed like. Uh, the celebrity who had gonged the performer was typically asked, why'd you do that? And was expected to provide an explanation, joke, or further insult. Typically, Barris would lead into, a com- into commercial breaks with the cryptic promise, we'll be right back with more er stuff right <laughs> after this message. He would. He'd say more stuff every time. It was all we got yeah, stuff. Yeah, I, I said more er er. <laughs> more er. More er. That er, works, st- though. Yeah, that works. I mean, I hadn't, you know, I hadn't seen this in a long time. But then again, I'm not as old as you. In 1978, <laughs> the censors missed a risque act. We'll discuss that later. We'll discuss it later. That act has been thought to have been the downfall of the gong show. Despite fairly respectable ratings for a non-soap opera midday show, NBC canceled Gong with its final episode to air on July 21st, 1978. Okay, I got another clip of the show, and this is when he's, you know, they would do the first act, and then they'd cut to a break, and then when they came back, they would judge that act, and he would introduce the panel. So this is him introducing the panel. He had the same sense of humor, and you're going to be really surprised, I think, with the last guest he introduced on this one. Welcome back to the old Gong Show. Let's meet our celebrities. Our first guest... It's a very hard-working man who likes to relax by dressing up in a wetsuit and pretending he's a piece of licorice. Ladies and gentlemen, Artie Johnson. Artie. Yeah. I, I think it's wonderful. Thank you, thank you. Thank you on behalf of all my relatives. I, uh, yes, I, I would say it takes a red coquette to do a good coquette. That's what I always say. That's we say that day. around the house before Jay gets to it. I give him a nine. A nine. A nine. Oh, right. Good, Jay. Not only is this next lady a fantastic singer, but she also has, she's also a fine writer. She's just written a new book on spicy foods and jogging called I Hate to Eat and Run, But I Gotta. <laughs> the Enchanting J.P. Morgan. My favorite. I always wondered, who is she? What did she do? She was a singer in the 70s. Never heard of her. She was my favorite. Except for on the show. Yep. This nine has nothing to do with Ray. It was just for that last thing you said to me, you little creep. Okay. <laughs> All right. Listen to this one. We both got a nine. Now let's welcome a bright new comedian who's one of the stars of a new series airing this summer called The Starland and Vocal Band. Meet David Letterman. Oh, wow. How about that? How about that? David Raymond Cockett. Raymond, um, your performance easily worth the price I paid for the rented suit. I've given you an eight. An eight. An eight, and that gives you 26 points, Raymond. Thanks for being on the show. But, you know, most of their acts were goofy and very amateurish, but they did have legitimate talent on the show every once in a while. And they had the two biggest gong show-related showbiz successes was a young lady by the name of Andrea McArdle, which I've never heard of. Don't know who that is. And Cheryl Lynn, another one I haven't heard of. But uh, the 12-year-old McArdle appeared on the show in 1976, and right after that, she got the lead role in the hit Broadway musical Aunt Annie. Oh, wow. They must and, not have known she was on this show. <laughs> <laughs> probably not. Cheryl Lynn was signed to a recording contract as a result of her performance, and she uh, recorded a top-20 disco hit 
uh, called Got to Be it was Real. A top forty. Disco yes, hit. top forty. You said twenty. You split it in half. Well, I think but she I was think in I, the top twenty. I think I actually do know the name Cheryl Lynn, though. Among the other true talents that appeared on the show were singer Boxcar Willie. Oh yeah, I, I, I'd forgotten all about him till uh, this article. Right. Uh, comic and actor Paul Rubin. Pee Wee. Yep, best known as Pee Wee Herman. Uh, in a band called the Mystic Knights of the Oingo Boingo. I gotta find that clip. Which evolved into Oingo Boingo, and that clip is widely available. I'm on, yeah, on go YouTube. find that. That band was led by future film and television score composer Danny Elfman. This one shocked me, Craig. This is scary. Crip founder and executed murderer Stanley Tukey Williams appeared on the show Gotta in 1979 as a bodybuilder. Yeah, and I, I didn't see that one when I was doing my research. But I do have Chuck uh, talking about some of the show show talent he had on there, and you, you will recognize these names. Barry Langston, the, uh, the unknown comic, uh, wore a bag on his head because... Uh, he didn't want other comics to know that he was doing the gong show. And, and he was uh, extremely funny as, as, as the unknown comic. And he did an act later in, in Vegas, and he, had, he did the first half of the act with a bag on his head, and he would take the bag off and, and perform the other way. And he was much funnier with the back on his head. Oh, yes, my mother was on the show. Uh, I introduced her as my mother, uh, and she came out and sang Ain't She Sweet or something like that. And, uh, and uh, then I had a policeman come in, and I, first of all, I said, you're not allowed to be on the show. You're my mother. And, and I had a policeman came in and, and came in and dragged her off, and she kept singing all the time that she went off. She must have been a ham. Uh, you know, my daughter was a ham. We were all hams. Oh, he was great. You know, Gene Gene, Gene, Gene was a stagehand. It is Classic. Uh, Gene Raymond, I think, okay. or something like okay. that. And he, he swept up the, uh, the stage. And, and, and while he swept, he was doing this great little dance. So I said, Gene, Gene, come out. And Gene, come out and, and do the dance. And he and he did, and it, it was a, a huge success. I mean, when we would go out to the ball games together at, uh, at, at, at uh, to watch the Dodgers, uh, Gene would get a bigger hand than I got. You know, when they saw him, and they just loved him. They weren't allowed to to re- repeat themselves, except uh, Pee Wee Herman, uh, who always came on the show. Uh, as a different act, I mean, in disguise, uh, like he was an Indian, he was a, a preacher, and, and, and on and on. But it was Paul Rubens doing doing uh, something else and and uh, doing another act, and uh, I kept saying, "Paul, is that you?" And he was <laughs> couldn't he, couldn't recognize him. And, I would ignore it, and and, and, and you know he would go on and on, and it, he was wonderful. Father Ed was uh, was a stagehand too. Uh, we would dress him up and and bring him out, and he would start talking about the wisdom of the, of a Bible, which we would have on cue cards, and then during the, the, the his talk. We would turn the cubicle cards upside down, and he would be totally lost. And and uh, it was just weird. I decided to do. <laughs> and I got him all messed up. I think his name was Ed. Ed somebody or something. So, what what's some of your favorite 
memories of the gong show. I really, I mean, I, I, it's been years it, since yeah. I've seen it. You don't see it the in one that's, reruns anymore. No, and the one that stuck with me again was the Unknown Comic. Yeah. He used to have these real, just some really funny routines. Yeah, he was on the show something like 100 times, I think. But I, but I don't really have a favorite because I really don't recall that much of it other than just the weirdness of him. Yeah. Of Chuck. Yep. And J.P. Morgan, always wondering who the heck is J.P. Morgan. Yeah. And then just whatever weirdness was going to come out on the stage, it just, I mean, you're talking, we're 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 pushing this whole middle aged dude thing. Yeah, I mean, we really are. So so you know, uh, I think well, we're back, maybe maybe we got pushed over already. My brother Alan's favorite. It's been a while, is what I'm saying. It has been a long time, but Alan's favorite segment was uh, Gene Gene the Dancing Machine. Every yeah. time, well, he, just the he name is fun guy. to say. Yeah, we had a house cleaner one time named Gene, and he called her Gene Gene the Cleaning Machine. Well, all the time. One of my, my favorite, uh, the one that I always remember the unknown comic, and it's not gonna be it's not gonna be easy to make funny to explain it, but he had this bit he did with a banana. And he was shooting it like a gun. And yeah. he's like, bang, 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 bang. And starts going, he starts going, click, click, click. <laughs> he unpeels part of the banana, breaks off a piece of it, then sticks another piece in it, and starts <laughs> shooting it again. That's, that's like, you don't get comedy like that much anymore. There's probably a reason. And uh, I remember the uh, Father Ed that he was talking about. I remember that character. Father Ed, I remember, but I did not realize until that interview that they flipped the cards upside down because he start, he always started out normal, and then it was like he couldn't. Oh, i got to go back and watch that. Well, I've got a clip of it here. Like, Now, you'll be able to tell when the cards flip. Same here, my child. Hey, Father, I see you seem to be bootlegging a little gift for me. Yes, my child, I have a small koala bear for you. A bear? Yes, you loon. Can't you tell a bear when you see one? You see, you seem to be such a simple-minded lad that I thought a meaningless piece of fluff would appeal to your... There they go for uh, Creature like brain. <laughs> oh, I see, Father. Well, thanks. Anyway, now that we are in 1978, does this year have any biblical significance? Yes, my child. 1978 is a year of the puck pickers. <laughs> what? It said puppeteers, but he kept reading it because he was upside down. Under what? Puppet. 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 Oh, the puppet. I see. <laughs> They put these long ones. Well, uh, what the philosophy? That's my kind of humor. Who says uh, he said, well, my child, of one Frenchman, Progolf, Eastwell, contributions, that helped spread solace to the grieving generation, when it's followed Jesus' hex rest. Oh, and that's when he, he oh, pushed God. him off stage. That's funny. I love it. Okay, so we got uh, four outrageous gong show moments. Yes. Yes. There were so many glorious, uh, gloriously weird moments from the Gong Show. To honor the late, great Mr. Barris, we're going to share four of our favorite instances of his stuff from the series. Yeah, and we've discussed a couple of these already, but... Right. Number one, Gene Gene, the dancing machine. Long before David Letterman began using his crew in comedy bits, Eugene, Gene Gene, the dancing machine Patton, a stagehand, was shimmying for the Gong Show audience before the show to warm up the crowd so he, he would come out like yeah, he could make get the crowd going. yeah get the crowd warmed up 
So, but Barris thought he was such a good dancer. He put him, uh, he actually put Gene on the air and he became the show's regular final act because he would come out as the right. music was playing. So I got this here. Oh, I have a little letter here. Got to read this letter for you. It's from uh, Huntley, Montana. Huntley, Montana. And it comes from Dan Par Dan Parlish. And he says, I, I watch a show every day on, on a Billings, Montana station. And, and I love Gene, Gene, the dancing machine. We, we would, I just wish you'd give him another chance. So, all right, let's give him another chance. And this song has stuck with me. I still sing this song, hum it, in my head. Really? Yeah. Because he, he like, like the article said, he did, he, for a while there, he closed out every show. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, so uh, number two is, is your favorite. I'm going to let you take that one. The Unknown Comic. Yes. Who was that man on the stage with a paper bag pulled over his head delivering jokes? No one knows. Okay, we really know. It was Murray <laughs> Langston who had a solid career appearing unmasked on shows like Sonny and Cher in the 70s. Embarrassed he needed the cash from Gong. Langston came up with the bag idea and ultimately made over 150 appearances. I do, boy. Ladies and gentlemen, it really makes me sort of angry to do this. I really hate this, but I have no other choice. Ladies and gentlemen, the unknown comic. What a weird looking crowd we got here tonight. Okay, I am the unknown comic and comedy is my bag. Because he has a bag. (laughs) He's the whole left side of his body. He's all right now. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, hey, I'd like to do some magic today. So I'll do some magic for you. This is an ordinary bag. Now I'm going to take this white handkerchief and put it into this bag. Okay, now I'm going to take a black handkerchief and put it into the bag with the white handkerchief. I'm going to blow into the bag. See the magic words? I'm a gazam. Ladies and gentlemen, the black handkerchief is now white. The white one is now black. This guy was really big too in the 70s. Yeah. Come here. I got another trick for you. This one's great. Now I am going to make a live bird appear into this ordinary bag. I'm going to just blow this bag up. All right, you're waiting. All right, a live bird will now appear into this bag. Blow it up. Okay, let me blow it up first now. And now, ladies and gentlemen, a live bird in this bag. Abigail, Lady Kazan, hey. Oh. Oh, wow. And he what popped the bag and yeah. feathers for you. Right. <laughs> oh, my God. That orchestra really made it. You know, that's funny. Okay, so number three. Now, Craig, I had I didn't remember seeing this one. So while I was researching for this episode, I pulled the, this whole this whole episode is available on YouTube. But one whole episode featured nothing but people singing feelings. In 1974, there was a hit called Feelings by Morris Albert. That's the one, which is pretty much a big deal at the time, but we're still not sure audience members deserve to watch an entire episode of people attempting to croon the tune, which was covered by everyone from Ella Fitzgerald to Engelbert Humperdinck and Johnny Mathis. 
Still, it's worth remembering as an example of surreal TV at its best. And the uh, the the judges had no idea. I mean, it was like a secret. The first like act, every act comes out to the yeah, same thing. The first act, you know, they actually gave him. I think it was a twenty-seven. He scored that was that good. Second act came out saying the same song, and they all laughed a little, like, "Oh, this is great." But it kept going, and as it went on, it just got funnier and funnier. Okay, so the show ending popsicle twins this is the this is the act that pretty much ended the, the gong yeah. show because he pushed the limit barris was well known for his run-ins with the censors bringing in risque acts as bait to allow some of the less risque acts to slip by in 1978 one of these bait acts two teenage girls referring to themselves as have you got a nickel made it onto the show their act consisted of the girls sitting cross-legged on the stage floor on the stage floor and they began silently eating popsicles um in a risque sort of way. Yeah. The nature of the act led to the two girls being known as the Popsicle Twins. While they were able to complete their act without being gonged, two of the judges gave them low marks. Phyllis Diller gave them a zero, while Jamie Farr awarded them a marginally better uh, two. Because he was a nice guy. Yeah. The third judge, J.P. Morgan, awarded them a ten. The girls' act was let through by the censors who did not see anything wrong with it in rehearsals. However, once the episode aired aired in eastern time zone markets nbc pulled the act from central mountain and pacific airings of the day's episodes immediately after it ended the act was not cut from all the tapes and the popsicle twins incident has aired in reruns barris said it's probably just mild by today's today stand, yeah. today's standards barris said in a 2001 interview with salon.com that his particular act uh, this particular act began making him reconsider his career. It really did affect him. And the thing is, what they rehearsed was not what they did on the on right. the show. But it still got through. All right, ladies and gentlemen, one of the girls in this next act says her hobbies are boys and first aid. I guess that means that on weekends, she cruises Hollywood Boulevard in an ambulance. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Mark. <laughs> Here she is. Oh, I love this act. Oh, now this has some substance. It's about time we had substance on this show of fame. Here comes, have you got a nickel? And I'm going to go ahead and tone that down because some of the audience remarks are, are crude yeah, in themselves. Yeah, yeah. But there's good news. That that did cancel the show. That was the act that, that put it over the edge, That was good so news? Speak. No, that's not the good news. The good news is... And this is right now, ABC orders Gong Show Revival from Will Arnett. Yeah, I'm not a Will Arnett fan. You're not? No. I mean, I like the Batman, the Lego Batman character he does, but yeah. I'm not a, not a fan of him. I'm, a, I'm actually a pretty big fan of Will's. I just, uh, and, I mean, I know a lot of people like him. No, I'm not saying... And you got to remember, as the Gong, if he's the host... I think they need somebody weirder. They may have somebody weirder, because he's just going to be the producer, director. Uh, the net- oh, okay. I thought okay. So he's producing it. That's fine. If they need somebody who's going to be, thing is you got wacky. Be, you got to be careful though. You got to get somebody that can, that can do their own thing. And and so, not, an not, unknown would be best. An unknown yeah. comic. Oh, oh. See uh, ten there. episodes have been ordered, and ABC is going to add it to their game show lineup. Uh, the network greenlighted the revival uh, to be executive produced by Will Arnett. And every episode will celebrate unconventionally uh, talented, unique performers. You know what? There's it's, no it's gonna, way. It's going to fail. It probably will. No, it will. There's no way they can recreate what Chuck Barris well, did. MTV or someone years ago did something called, it wasn't cra- it was called, what was it called? Odd Town or Oddville or something like that. And it was the same thing. It was, it was They would bring these weird, really strange, eccentric people on to do these weird, uncomfortable acts. 
And I think I don't think it was a contest. I think it was just, um, you know, just them coming. Just on a weird a show. And uh, it was it was pulling straight from this book, really. I mean, just you know, I just don't see that. I mean, it's kind of like has that not run its course at this point? You yeah, know? I don't know, but I will give it. I'll give it a shot. I mean, this, I mean, I'll, I'll I'll try to I'll try to watch it. I just I just it would just be hard to see this making it. Well, here here's a clip we've got of Chuck talking about Chuck. Haven't you been called the father of reality television? Yes, I have, and I apologize for that. <laughs> uh, when you did the gong show, were you always stoned? <laughs> that, that's a question I keep getting asked all the time. And, and, I'm, and I'm telling you for a fact, I was not. I may have been having a midlife crisis of some kind, but I was not stoned. I never touched drugs. I couldn't. I was an extremist. I am an extremist by nature. I mean, I would eat 35 packs of, of chewing gum a day. Good so night. So if I touched anything that resembled a drug, I would be a, an immediate junkie. I also had a public company I was running at the time, so the answer to that was no. I, I was never. Uh, what is the favorite show that you created, of all your shows you created? What's your favorite show? Well, The Dating Game was the first. And that has a, a sentimental value. The Gong Show was the most fun. Uh, I had a lot of no fun, doubt. although, you know. And the Newlywed Game was the best format because you had such a simple thing. It was four couples, eight questions, and a washer-dryer. And you had, <laughs> you had the it. perfect show. It was, it was wonderful. And Newlyweds would want to uh, wash and dry. Your song, yeah. Palisades Park, which I wrote, your TV shows, The Dating Game and Newlywed Game, were uh, hot in the 60s. Do you consider yourself to be a product of the 60s? Oh, absolutely. My feet are still implanted in the 60s. I, I never really left. I mean, those were the days when you could rhyme. I mean, you could do Rose, June Moon, Spoon. Uh, you know, I couldn't rhyme a song. I couldn't write a song today for who, for the performers that are performing them. Also, I don't think I could create television today. Or, you know, and Simon, whatever his name was, wasn't <laughs> Cowell. You know, in the '60s. So, oh. I really love that that section. And my last question to myself is: uh, When you go to that great game show in the sky, <laughs> would uh, would you rather be known as an author or as a uh, TV game show producer? Uh, it's, that's the easiest question of all. I, I would love to be known as an author. Uh, but I don't think it's, it's written that that's the way it's going to be. Uh, I think on my tombstone, it's just going to say, gonged at last. Right. Well, we can find I'm, out. Yeah, I'm soon. stuck with that. Yeah. Probably already. So that was him actually interviewing himself. Well, he had questions from the audience. Yeah, he was reading. But I was, at first, I was like, who's the guy that sounds, sounds just, just like, like him? They yeah. sound like brothers. That's so weird. now we're going we're gonna to go to my favorite part of Chuck Barris's life. The Gong Show is, is a part of my childhood. I love it. I always will. But in the 80s, when I read this book called Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, that's when I truly became a Chuck Barris fan. My name is Charles Hirsch Barris. I've written pop songs. I've been a television producer. In addition, I have murdered 33 human beings. I talked to a psychic today, and she said that you were going to be very successful. A pretty girl asks three handsome guys questions, and she picks one to date. That's it. That's the show. 
<laughs> His future was uncertain. I'm sorry about your show. Are you okay? I just wanted to tame people. His every move was being watched. I could use your help. I work for the Office of Diplomatic Security. Is that the CIA or something? <laughs> Are you interested? I can teach you at least 30 different ways to kill a man, Mr. Varys. The edge of your hand against your adversary's Adam's apple. Dude! Mr. Goldberg! Hi, Chuck. I have a hole in my daytime schedule. It's the Gong Show! It's a perfect cover. TV producer by day. CIA operative at night. Think of it as a hobby. Something you do to relax. Thank you, Shane. I'm Chuck. Here you are, Chuck. Pleasantly surprised. You're not like the other murderers. When you lead two different lives, it's easy to forget what side you're on. Right. Penny, Patricia, how'd you find me? Are you serious? This is what I do for a living. What does she mean? That's what she you're does. You're dead for in my book. Do you want me around or not? It's complicated. <laughs> you work for me. There's no backing out now. We let you in on everything. Drew Barrymore, George Clooney, Julia Roberts, and Sam Rockwell as Chuck Barris. Sam Rockwell's so good. He's quickly becoming one of my favorite actors. No doubt. But so that's the trailer for the movie. So basically, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. I cannot make any sense out of it. Nobody really knows if this is real or not. This is just something he wrote. But if you read the book, like I did, it all makes sense. It all fits together. Yeah, but you also think they didn't land on the moon or they filmed it. I I don't think that. Okay, let's not go. Anyway, so. (laughs) I know we landed on the moon. So here's the deal with Confessions of a uh, a Digital Mind. Yeah. (laughs) What did I. Sometimes words just come out of my mouth. Well, it's late. (laughs) Anyway, tired of being rejected by beautiful women, Chuck Barris moves to Manhattan to become an NBC page with dreams of becoming famous in television, but is eventually fired. He moves back to Philadelphia and becomes uh, Dick Clark's personal assistant uh, on American Bandstand in 1961. He writes a successful song, Palisades Park, and becomes romantically involved with a woman named Penny Pacino. Uh, Chuck is given permission to pitch the concept of the dating game at ABC. He's given $7,500 to create a pilot, but ABC abandons the idea in favor of Hootenanny. I don't remember Hootenanny. I don't either. Uh, one night after Barris is kicked out of a bar for fighting, he's approached by CIA agent Jim Bird, who recruits him uh, as an assassin. Yep. Meanwhile, ABC green li- greenlights the dating game, and by 1967, the show is a phenomenon. On a CIA mission in Helsinki, Finland, he meets female operative Patricia Watson. He finds more success back home when the newlywed game goes on air. He and Penny decide to move to Los Angeles, but Barris is cautious of marriage, much to Penny's dismay. In 1970, Bird convinces uh, Barris to go on a mission to East Berlin to assassinate Hans Kolbert. Yep. Barris is introduced to German-American agent Keeler, whom he helps uh, to kill Kolbert. Um, however, he is captured by the KGB and after some weeks freed during a West uh, East, a a west east spy exchange. You could call that West. West. You know yeah, you could put it together. Save, a, funny, lot, save a lot of time. You know, I was telling you, the book really makes sense. And if you, if you check these facts, these things did happen to nobody's credit because it was CIA hit me. Right, right. Yeah. Well, 1976, Barris creates the gong show and becomes famous as its host. Keeler is murdered, and Bird warns Barris of a mole in the agency. You know, you think those traps you put in your backyard. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, his TV shows are canceled due to poor ratings. One night, Barris finds Bird sitting atop of, uh, the diving board of his backyard pool. Bird reveals to Barris why he was chosen by the CIA to become an assassin. He's the son of a, uh, he is the son of a serial killer and had been raised as a girl by his mother, so he fit the profile. Yeah. Barris threatens Bird, and after Bird is killed moments later, Barris is seen pointing a gun at him. Faced with the unpleasant truth about himself, Barris begins this to spiral out of control. Um, after almost having a nervous breakdown on one of his shows, Barris shuts himself away in a New York City hotel. Penny manages to find him and tries in vain to convince him to return to California to get married. Barris finally leaves his room and meets Patricia in Boston. After a cup of coffee with her, Barris collapses, seemingly poisoned. Patricia reveals that she is the mole. Barris has tricked Patricia into drinking from the poison cup. This is yeah. all made up. And she that falls dead. Yeah. After her death, he returns home and begins writing his autobiography, Confessions of a D- Dangerous Mind. He finally decides to marry Penny. At the end of the ceremony, he sees some of the people he killed in the crowd. Uh, that must have been awkward. Yeah. Uh, distraught, <laughs> he confesses to her his double life as a CIA assassin, but she merely laughs, assuming it's a joke, and decides not to correct and he decides not to correct her the thing is none of that last paragraph that was movie that was not in the book this is all that was all from the movie and it was made i I guess clooney decided it was more important to be entertaining than truthful yeah you gotta have some of that but chuck never told he never to be truthful like this whole story like chuck's story is even truthful chuck's stories i believe it is truthful and he uh he kind of talks about a little bit right here i was angry at the time i i i checked into the uh, to the Wyndham Hotel, which is uh, on 60-something uh, Street. Yes, in New York. And it's, it's just behind uh, Rumpelmeyer's or the Park Sheraton. And, uh, and uh, I, in, in that hotel, I decided to stay for uh, two weeks and write uh, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. But I stayed for uh, two years and... and, and uh, Eventually moved everything into that apartment, the the hotel room, and 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 the book, you know, uh, St. Martin's Press uh, published the book first, and Tom McCormick, who was president of St. Martin's, loved the book. He said, and he printed a hundred thousand copies, and uh, that was a huge printing in those days, and uh, it, it sold about seventy eight hundred. So I had tons of books as, as a remainder, <laughs> and uh, and it, uh, eventually, you know, became uh, became a movie. In the film, they they talk about some of the stuff you write about, and I know you've been asked over the years countless times about whether the stuff you wrote in that book are true, particularly the part about your work as a secret CIA assassin. What do you say when people ask you about it? Well, I, I don't answer that question uh, ever, and uh, and. Um, I can just tell you that the number two guy in the CIA said, uh, in answer to, to uh, reporters asking that question, that that I must have been standing too close to to the gong. Uh, <laughs> As a CIA agent yeah, would I say things like that, but uh, still, I'll, I'll, I'll never say one way or the other. Well, it's 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 an interesting question. I mean, I mean, being an assassin. For, for the United States is, is uh, not in the general public. You said you don't answer that question. Have you ever, you don't have to answer it for me, but have you ever told anybody about it? No. Including? Never. never. But yeah, he's talking about it. Your wife yeah, no. he wrote his story, uh, published it, 
before he knew he wasn't supposed to. After the story was published, he could not speak of it. He was in trouble. Yeah, if it's real. Well, it, you know, I tend to think... It, it, yeah, you watch the show and you look at the guy. Yeah, There's no way it's real. <laughs> no, no he's, he's just very good at How covering. would he kill anybody with his hat pulled down over his eyes? <laughs> and he's constantly clapping. So I didn't know this, but Chuck published like a, a sequel. And it was his second autobiography called The Game Show King, A Confession, in 1993. Uh, and then uh, another sequel to his first one, Bad Grass Never Dies. He published that in 2004, which I will be reading shortly. Uh, he's written three novels. Uh, his uh, New York Times bestseller was called You and Me, Babe, which was also his fiction debut. Uh, he um, he married three times. He had one child, Della, which we talked about, with then-wife uh, Lynn Levy. And Della passed away in 1998 at the age of 36 from a drug overdose. A devastated Barris detailed her story in the book Della, A Memoir of My Daughter. And that was just published in 2010. And Barris was a cancer survivor. I never knew that. Did not know that. That was a fact uh, that I picked up researching. He died from natural causes at his home in New York on March 21st of this year. And he was 87 years old. Died in Palisades. And that breaks my heart because I sincerely wanted to, to get him on the show for an interview. He'd kill us. And I don't think so. Not if, if we uh, did it by Skype. Because unless he had like... He well, could, like, x-ray eyes or something like that. I mean, that. it would be no more sensational lies than anything else he said he did. <laughs> but that's it. Thank you, uh, guys. This Thanks. is a long episode. It is a long episode, and, and much uh, it should be for Chuck. Yeah. So this We this, did it for Chuck. This is not a rare thing. And on the way out, Craig, I'm going to play Chuck's goodbye from the gong show. You know, every show he say goodbye. Yep, yep. And this one ends with, uh, bye, y'all, let's dance. So take a listen. Dancing in a strangely wonderful style, and you check for 500 big ones and 32 little ones. Don't spend it all in one place. Hey, thank you all. It was real good working with you. Milton's a log in a band with a thug. Good old Ray Bojo, Mark Stevens, Joe Howard, Bobby McNanny, Anson Williams, Leon Mark, and Jamie Spar. Della Bella, Steve Bell Down, the Nuremberg Jewelry. Bye bye, Nuremberg. Johnny the Fox. Cassie Coles, Red Row, Bernie is me saying bye y'all.